Hello, welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm your host, Natasha Mirosh, an insatiably curious food and travel writer who's toured and tasted her way around more than 60 countries. Join me now as I talk to the people who make travelling and eating such a delicious adventure. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Extra Virgin. If you're a regular listener, thanks for your support. If you're new here, thanks for joining us. Today we're catching up on a remarkable love story set in the darkest days of COVID. If you haven't listened to episode 64, Love in the Time of COVID, you might want to do that. But don't worry, we'll give you a little background to the story. Today we're speaking with Monique Ciccato. When we last left Monique, she'd been reunited with her love in Norway. But within a week of us speaking to her, she was reluctantly back on a plane to Australia. Not an easy thing in the middle of a pandemic. Things weren't looking good with a long period of separation and the prospect of living out a long-term relationship. But today we're speaking with Monique to find out how it's all going. Welcome, Monique. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. (laughs) Monique, for the benefit of those who don't know your story, can you give us a quick rundown of how you, a girl from Perth, ended up falling in love with a Norwegian man? (laughs) Sure. So I guess it's everyone's modern day love story. We met on Bumble. He was in Perth for, well, he was in Perth on holiday, ready to go to Malaysia for work. So I met him three days before he was flying out to Malaysia. And I guess we, yeah, we just fell for each other. It was, we went on a date to the beach. We had some beers on the beach and we actually had two dates in one day. So I I hung out with him and his friends that night as well. And then, yeah, he went off to Malaysia and in the time that he was in Malaysia, he was in Malaysia for six months and he came back to Australia, I think it was about four or five times and he flew me to Malaysia to see him there. And for the last three years, maybe it was just, he was coming back to Australia maybe every six months. And that was how we managed to maintain our relationship <laughs> on, a, you know, two trips a year. And take, take us up to the point where you decided to go to Norway to be with him. So the decision to go to Norway was basically a make or break it moment. COVID forced us to be apart for a year before I got to Norway. By the time we decided for me to go to Norway, I don't think we'd seen each other in maybe seven months, eight months. And it got to the stage where we we were on the phone to each other and we had to make a decision on what to do. We either had to leave the relationship where it was, which I really wasn't prepared to do after investing so much, both before COVID and during COVID. So we just had to try. And one of my, one of my friends had actually told me that he'd just received an an exemption to go and see his partner in Switzerland. And I think that when I found that out, that was kind of the kind of fire under our butts that we needed to really Mm. try and make this happen. We knew it could happen. Mm. We just needed to start the process and, you know, get myself over here. (laughs) So then you spent 10 days in a quarantine hotel at the airport and then you spent four months living in Sula, which is just outside Stavanger. But you had to come back to Australia in April. Why was that? 
at that point in time, when I first came over to Norway, I came over on a visitor's visa because just another fun thing, you know, in our in our relationship, it's not been easy. I I couldn't apply for a spousal visa or anything like that because we hadn't lived together. We didn't have joint finances or, you know, on paper, we weren't, we weren't a couple. So I came over on a visitor's visa, which gave me three months in Norway. And I was here for four months because in the January when I was supposed to fly home, they cut passenger limits Mm. Uh, so my flight got bumped and it got bumped again and it got bumped again and then yeah basically the earliest that Qatar could get me onto a flight was two months after I was supposed to be leaving so Mm. yeah and then so I obviously had to come home because I couldn't be in Norway any longer and to reset that i think i think australians can be in norway for 90 days every 180 days so that meant i had to spend 90 days back at home before i could try and re-enter <laughs> could you not just go to a neighboring country i possibly could have but i think at that point in time everything was still red there was still a lot of a lot of border closures within europe and Norway actually has incredibly strict borders, kind of similar to Australia. So getting into Norway is incredibly hard. And the only reason that I managed to was because they'd started allowing partners and girlfriends in. What was it like leaving Espen knowing that he couldn't come to lockdown Australia and that it was likely to be some time before you could be together again? I was an absolute mess. <laughs> it's it's always hard. It was always hard whenever he was leaving Australia or you know I was leaving Malaysia. It was it was always hard. I was always a bundle of tears, but this time was particularly hard because it was the longest that we'd spent together. Mm. Obviously COVID and we weren't sure whether I was going to be able to get back in to Norway. There was definitely no way he was getting back into Australia. So, yeah, I it, it was awful. Mm. I think I cried for maybe two days straight. Oh. And I actually, I was bawling my eyes out when I was flying out of Norway, both because I knew that I was leaving him and, you know, the possibilities, there was a high chance that I might not get back in. But I kind of grew quite attached to Norway as well so I was I was leaving him but I was leaving a little bit of my heart with the country I feel quite teary thinking about it (laughs) what was it like coming back to Australia firstly you had to quarantine yet again didn't you was it hard to be back was it hard to adjust and, and to be happy to be back I think because I was coming back to the end of a summer I was super excited for that. So that was, you know, a consolation prize to to coming back. As far as adjusting and work and all that sort of stuff, it it was quite hard because I came home and I didn't have my home anymore. I gave up my rental and my my housemate who's one of my best mates moved back to Queensland. So I didn't have that 
to come back to. I literally came out of quarantine and went to live with my parents in my hometown, which I never thought I would do. I literally (laughs) never thought I would be living back in my hometown, let alone with my parents. So, and and then just building up those relationships again and letting everyone know that I was back home. Mm. It, it was, it was hard. Friends, it was fine. Everyone was excited to see, to see me. I was excited to see them. But prior to leaving, I had a certain relationship with, with, I don't know, PR contacts with publications, all that sort of thing. And so just having to reestablish that and let them know that I was actually home and here for work, ready for work. Yeah, it was, it wasn't starting again. It was just a bit of a task to, to reestablish myself, I guess. Mm. And how did you stay connected with Espen? We, we stayed connected with a lot of FaceTime. It was, like always, yeah, he would, bless his cotton socks, every single day we'd call, even if we didn't particularly have much to talk about. <laughs> but, you know, that's a relationship. You you call and you touch base and see how each other's day went. And a lot of texting. I'm a serial texter <laughs> because <laughs> I think I was thinking about him all the time. So just stupid things I would message him about. And I'm sure it was very annoying for him, but... <laughs> But I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. But the plan was always to go back to Norway, wasn't it? But this time for good. Yes, it was. Mm. Monique, where are we talking to you from right now? I am sitting on the couch at my partner's apartment in Sula. (laughs) That's fantastic. It's quite extraordinary. How did you set about making that happen? It seems like this time would have been even more difficult than the first time around. It, it really was because we, because we came to the decision, I, I guess we, I guess we knew when I was leaving as well, that there wasn't any other option. I, I was going to come back. That was, that was the plan. That was exactly what we were going to do. So we started basically, as soon as I got home, we started working on trying to get back here and, we knew the process as far as applying for the exemption. It was just that we needed to do something extra so that I didn't have to leave the country for 90 days, mm. every 180 days. So very, very thankfully, I was able to get myself an Italian passport, which is a process in itself. <laughs> <laughs> they like their, they like their bureaucracy, the Italians. Didn't you meet the Italian consulate or something at a lunch? <laughs> I actually did. I, of all things, I went to, uh, I went to a lunch at uh, Garum and the Italian consul was uh, sitting next to me, Nicolo, and it was, yeah, it was wild because I had literally just started the process of seeing whether I could get my Italian passport. So I was chatting to him about that and telling him all about my situation. And it was really lovely because I knew that he knew about my case. And uh, I did actually see when I got my Italian passport and I posted something about it on Facebook, somehow he had found 
this photo on Facebook because we weren't friends mm. on Facebook, but he'd found it and he'd liked it. And mm. we stayed in contact the whole time and he was very supportive and positive and told me that they'd do anything they could to help me. Of course, he's, he's Italian. They love a good love story. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, he was proud that, you know, oh. there could be another Italian. And <laughs> so you got your Italian passport. You're now able to stay in Norway. Is that right? Yeah. So it's a lot easier having a European passport in Norway. It's still not done and dusted it doesn't mean that i can be here forever just because i have an italian passport there's a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through but as it stands i can be here for the for six months and then i have to leave the country for a day terrible i might have to go to italy or something for a day (laughs) (laughs) and then i can come back and i can be here for another six months and but i am in the process of trying to ensure that i don't have to do that so yeah there's a lot to go through (laughs) And, and, and is that the partner or the spousal visa or something that you're trying to get not the spousal visa just yet because Unfortunately, we still don't yet qualify for that. Oh. Yeah, the, you know, long long distance love story. We haven't <laughs> lived together for long enough. But because I have the Italian passport, I can register in Norway as, uh, well, I can register my own business in Norway, which then allows me to get what they call a D number, which is basically a national identity number, Mm. which then I can use to set up bank accounts and, you know, all those fun things that you need a D number for. Mm. But it also means that I can be here indefinitely without, you know, having to leave the country for a day Mm. to reset or anything like that. So, yeah. Tell us about that airport reunion. Oh, my gosh. I could actually talk this time. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Tell tell anybody who doesn't know about the first one. (laughs) Yeah, so the first airport reunion. Oh, my gosh. I remember being so excited to leave quarantine and see Espen, but I was in hotel quarantine in Oslo, which is a 45-minute flight away. So I had to get on a flight and I had 45 minutes to sit in my feelings and (laughs) my stomach was doing flips. I was so nervous. It was, it was, it was really scary (laughs) because I hadn't seen him in a year. And I think I had the time to sit there and think over in my head, like, what if he doesn't like me? What if I see him? And he doesn't look anything like I remember him to look. What if there's no butterflies when I see him? Like, I just, all the scenarios. But, yeah, when I did see him, I just, I was so shaky and I couldn't talk because all the adrenaline kicked in and I just mm. didn't know what to do. And he looked mighty fine. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. And what about this time? Yeah. Was it was it, it was it a little bit less scary this time? It was very different this time because I was quarantining in Oslo again and there was something in in the government regulations. Ah, that's what it was. I was in hotel quarantine and this time you could check yourself out after uh, you got the results of your 72-hour PCR test. So I had to walk myself down to the PCR uh, testing centre 
<laughs> yes, I was in quarantine, but I had to walk myself down there. <laughs> and then once I got those results and they were negative, I was allowed to leave. But the conditions were that you didn't take public transport to your next destination because you had to do, I think it was another three days of quarantine at home. Mm. Uh, and then you could test yourself again and you could test out. So because I couldn't take public transport, I couldn't take it, take the plane. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. So Espen actually drove the eight and a half hours to Oslo. Oh, wow. Uh, and stayed in Oslo until I could get out of hotel quarantine. But because I could, while I was in quarantine, I could leave the hotel for a maximum of four hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, Norwegians are very big on their you know, you have to get fresh air, you have to go on walks, all that sort of thing. So we had four hours that we could leave. So the day that he arrived in in Oslo, we reunited in a park and <laughs> it was just the most, it was absolutely, uh, it was so nice. The sun was shining. We were hanging out in the park. We sat there and chatted for about an hour or two. We couldn't touch each other because I was still technically in quarantine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, you know, I sat there and I was like, I just want to hug you and kiss you, but I can't. (laughs) So, yeah, and then the next day we were, I I saw him again and we actually, we might have broken that quarantine rule and I might have kissed him. I was going to ask you to to share with us if you'd done something because I can't imagine that you could sit there all that time and not touch each other. Yeah, it was, it was, (laughs) we couldn't not. So I think the second day we, we spent four hours, we took a little scooter, an electric scooter up to the Botanic Gardens in Oslo. So there's a big sculpture park there. And again, the sun was shining and I wasn't allowed to go indoors anywhere because I was technically still in quarantine. So so we couldn't, it was so, it was so odd, but I'm very thankful that I could actually be outside, Mm. but yeah, we couldn't go to like the Munch museum or anything like that, but we went to the sculpture park and yeah, laid in the sun and had coffee in the sun and Oh, it was just so lovely. Very, very different to the last time I saw him. <laughs> it certainly sounds it. Okay, on a practical level, how do you prepare to shift your entire life like that? You weren't just coming for a holiday this time. How do you pack up your life? How do you fit everything into a suitcase? And what about your job? It's, yay. Oh, my gosh. Just thinking about those few months, I... Uh, as far as work goes, I basically stopped working for a month or two because oh, I was doing very little anyway because I was um, just so consumed with trying to get all the paperwork together and get my life together to to leave. And thankfully, being a freelance writer, I could make those decisions and say, I'm just going to pull back. I'm not going to pitch any work. I'm just going to focus on getting myself ready. And I definitely needed it because it was it was a lot mentally. I think my exemption got knocked back four times, oh. which was really heavy. It, it, all for good reason, because I basically jumped the gun in trying to apply for them and didn't yet have my physical passport. So that was kind of the, the clincher. I needed that in there. But yeah, so... 
to get myself here, there was a lot of tying up loose ends. Like I'd already moved all of my stuff to my parents' houses. So they, they don't live together anymore, but I had my stuff spread between their two houses and I had to go through all of that again, get rid of some of it, put some of it in storage because we just, we honestly didn't know how long we were going to be in Norway for because of Espen's job as well. So I'm kind of in limbo and have stuff in, uh, stuff in my storage shed because I didn't want to burden my parents with my stuff if I was going to be here for a year before coming home or mm. yeah. <laughs> so that as far as physical stuff, that's, that's basically, basically how I managed that. And then mentally it was a lot, like I said, there was a lot of tying up loose ends and trying to get paperwork ready. And there wasn't so much that I could do from here to prepare myself for getting to Norway mm. or for being in Norway. It was more, you know, canceling my, all of my insurances and all that sort of stuff that I had to, had to manage beforehand. And it was almost like a full-time job. Oh <laughs> gosh. Um, sounds like it. What did you choose to bring with you? <laughs> I only had 30 kilos, unfortunately. Oh, no. <laughs> I, and I looked at so many options of how to be able to bring more over and, oh, my gosh, you will you will die. Qatar, it was about $60 per extra kilo. <gasps> to- what? Oh, yes. My, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So no, no per bag price or anything like that, but $60 like for every extra kilo. So that was definitely not an option. Mm. I considered upgrading to business class, but then realized I was being ridiculous upgrading to business class just so I had more luggage. Mm. (laughs) And so, yeah, I came over with 30 kilos and because it was the end of very end of summer, I very optimistically packed a fair bit of summer stuff, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I'm now realizing was quite the stupid idea because I got one chance to wear my lovely summer dress. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm, gosh, how many months am I, am I into this now? Maybe two months. And I hate everything I own because I have worn it so often. But yeah. Oh my gosh. I think I, I think basically 30 kilos allowed me maybe four jackets, which probably sounds like a lot, but to me, that's, that is not enough because I, <laughs> I sound so stupid. I need, I need variety in my life. Oh, um, not when you're wearing them every day. I mean, that's not a lot. Exactly. Exactly. And my favorite gold boots just died. So I've only got two pairs of boots, but I I left my boots here because I wasn't going to need my big winter boots back in Australia. So yeah, I really didn't come over with much. And I, I did think that I would be getting a big box of stuff sent over and I was hoping to get some more of my winter stuff and maybe some some homewares and, you know, some more of my beauty stuff and creature comforts and stuff like that. But, yeah, there's been a lot of things that have stopped that from happening. So, Okay, fair enough. So tell us a little bit about the place that you're living. Okay, so Sula, I consider myself really lucky to have found a guy that's from Sula or Stavanger and not from 
Shekinez or <laughs> Tomsa, although, you know, they're beautiful places. Sula is kind of the southwest corner of Norway. Mm. So in comparison to the rest of Norway or to the Norway that people envisage, it is warmer. The days are longer. So, you know, come winter, we don't get polar night like the northern parts of Norway. We do get wait for it, maybe five hours of sunlight. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know it's pretty grim. That's not much for, um, my, for a girl from Perth, is it? No, it's really not. And pro- it's probably one of the harder things about living here. But for a girl from Perth, Sula probably could not be a better place to be because we're about a five-minute, ten-minute drive from some of the most incredible beaches, which you would not expect of Norway. And I think I think it's partly Norway's doing, though, because when you look at their social media accounts and they're promoting Norway, it's always the fjords and the snow and, you know, the northern lights and stuff like that. But down this way, I've got photos of beaches that if I showed people, they would think were, you know, Cottesloe Beach, maybe not Cottesloe Beach, uh, city beach in Western Australia. Mm. Long, sandy stretches of beach, beautiful white sand, you know. So for a girl from Western Australia, it's, it's so nice. It sounds like you need to get a job with the Norwegian Tourist Board and help promote that aspect of Norway. I am very much working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What have been the most difficult aspects of settling in a new country for you? It's been a complete, I can't say the word I was going to say because it has a profanity in it. It's been, (laughs) it's been like my, my head is mush trying to settle myself here. I think the hardest part for me, everyone glamorizes living overseas and you know, it's, this wonderful growth experience for people and it's exciting and it's, you know, romantic, but the, the ins and outs of actually getting yourself legally recognized in the country, it's, it's so hard. I've Mm. been here a few months already and we started the process from the very beginning and it's it took, I think maybe four weeks Actually, no, that's a lie. You have to register with the police before you do anything here. And that appointment, the earliest we could get was three months away, which isn't ideal. I managed to find an appointment earlier than that and go do that. But it, I've, I can't tell you the number of appointments I've had with the different institutions and, you know, government, government, yeah, government institutions and, no one knows where to send me for my particular case <laughs> and how to register me in the country. And uh-huh. it has been so frustrating because I literally can't do anything. I couldn't get myself a, a SIM card because I don't have a D number. So I'm like a 12-year-old girl right now and Espen has signed up under his name with a SIM card for me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And it's it's really like, you know, like I said, people glamorise this idea of living overseas and mm. it is wonderful and it is amazing, but the behind-the-scenes work to make it happen, none of it is simple. And I think it's true of Australia too, you know, when people move to Australia, there are so many hoops that you've got to jump mm. through to make it 
legal for you to be there and no one makes it easy. I guess we never see this part of it. You know, when we travel, we go on a holiday. So, yeah, it sounds sounds a lot more difficult. Tell us about Norwegians. What are they like? I saw a meme recently about how Norwegians actually embraced the idea of physical distance imposed during COVID. They liked it. Is this based on the truth? Uh, Yes and no. Norwegians... I remember when I first got to Norway and, you know, friendly, bubbly little Mon was walking down to the shops with Espen saying hello to people and patting their dogs. And Espen looked at me with the, <laughs> with concern on his face and he was like, you can't do that. And I was like, I can't do what? And he, he was like, people here don't say hello to each other. It's weird. You can't say hello to people. It's not normal. They, they don't like it. And I was like, oh. Oh, I was just being friendly, but yeah, they, they don't, they're, they're not as friendly as Australians are in that respect. There's one, there's one exception to the rule. And if you're on a hike, then you say hello to everyone. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) I have no idea. Possibly it has something to do with the Norwegians being, very, very for this idea of free luft live, which is like the outdoor lifestyle. But yeah, I it's it's very concerning, and I'm like, what's a hike and what's just a walk? <laughs> like, how how do they actually differentiate? I I have no idea. So now I just wait for Espen's cue, and if he says hello, then I'll say hello. <laughs> so. But, yeah, they do definitely embrace, like, the social distancing type thing. They're not, they're not cold people. It's just that they're a little bit more standoffish and take a little bit, take a little bit to uh, get used to someone so boisterous like me. But, yeah, I was actually, there was someone on a, the Australians and New Zealanders in Norway group yesterday was actually asking for some practical information about moving to Norway and it somehow turned into a, a bit of a thread of people being like people talking about how Norwegians don't like speaking English and you need to learn Norwegian and they're not very friendly and you know, they won't want to talk to you in English. And I was like, that's a lie because when I go to the shops, the people working in at the checkout are so super friendly. And I think, you know, I think it has a lot to do with how you mm. speak to them as well. You know, like I'll I'll start speaking to them and say, hi, hi. And then they'll start speaking to me in Norwegian and I'll very politely with a big smile and a laugh be like, oh, my gosh, unshield, the ice nakaringelsk. That sounds <laughs> so, pretty oh. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's literally translates as sorry I, I speak English and then they'll try and speak to me in English and I'll try and speak little bits of Norwegian and mm. I, I think they can see the effort and you know I'm very friendly about it so they're really nice and they'll smile and they'll have a laugh and I, I guess a lot of it has to do with how you approach the conversation with them so mm. Thus far, I've found Norwegians to be very friendly, even if they don't want to say hello to you when you're walking on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from not wanting to say hello to you, what are some of the other funny things that you've discovered about your adopted country? Oh, that's a good one. I think some of the the kind of more 
well, yeah, I guess some of the things that were quite different to Australia and I would have assumed they would have adopted because, you know, Norwegian is quite a forward-thinking country. They definitely, like, they don't have a Sunday trade, which I find really odd. Uh, they have an obsession <laughs> with frozen pizza. <laughs> really? It's, it's, yeah, like the the shopping centres have freezers absolutely full of them so they're very big they're very big on pizza yes so you can you can buy beer up to five percent in the supermarkets but only until 8 p.m on weekdays and i think midday on saturday anything else so if you want wine or you want beer that's got more alcohol percentage or you want spirits you have to go to a vin monopole which is the state-run a liquor store every town or city has so Sula where I live has one liquor store Vin Monopole and that is open it doesn't open on Sundays and I think it maybe opens until midday on a Saturday yeah something like that and over the Christmas period when in Australia our liquor stores are basically open 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> they close so we got caught out last, and I think most people do, last Christmas when I was here and there were a few days where we forget that the stores aren't open and the liquor stores aren't open and we had to scrounge some beers off some mates. Is that a religious thing? Is it? Are they still strongly religious there? I think it probably stemmed from a religious thing. Sunday was always the day of rest for them. So I think it does stem from that. And it's slowly starting to change. Like we do have a Sunday store, but it has a really limited range. So it's kind of like going to your little corner deli to pick up the milk. You know, you're not going to go on a, on a Sunday and buy, I don't know, prosciutto. Mm. <laughs> it's, so, yeah, and I think it does come from that religious background. I don't know if they're still so religious but there are a lot of things that kind of stem from the farming days so my my in-laws when we go to dinner at their house dinner's at four o'clock five o'clock later talking about food I remember last time you were getting a little frustrated with the things that you were missing from home although you were embracing a lot of the foods that you were that you found there how is it now i'm so glad you asked that because i was really excited to tell you that i've actually been uh, to some amazing restaurants in stavanger the last couple of weeks my bank account hates me <laughs> i bet <laughs> One of the dinners, I kid you not, was 2,000 Norwegian <gasps> kroner. How much is that? Which, it was about 350, 300, 350 each. So it was a lot, a lot of money, but worth it. No, maybe not worth it, but the food was great. <laughs> but, yeah, like it, this time around, I think because we've – the first time – we still had COVID restrictions and places weren't really, you know, having diners or anything like that. And now everything's open. So I've had a lot more opportunity to explore modern Norwegian cuisine, which is like so far from this traditional Norwegian cuisine, which 
you know, it's not traditional Norwegian cuisine isn't terrible. I think the last dish I had, Espen's mum cooked me farakal, which is like like most traditional Norwegian food. It's just some stewed salted lamb and potatoes, but this time it has cabbage. Mm. And it's actually really tasty. Mm. It's just that it's very same samey. Mm. So if you're going to eat traditional Norwegian cuisine every single day, it's a lot of meat. It's a lot of potato. It's a lot of salt. And then there is cod and salmon and stuff like that. But it's very, very same, same. Mm. But this traditional Norwegian cuisine, so, uh, sorry, the more modern Norwegian cuisine, the first restaurant that I went to was called Sol, and it didn't cost 2,000 Norwegian krona each. It was a lot more affordable. But it was it was absolutely beautiful. It it really showcased. So we had some pork from Mostroy, which is like a string of islands just out of Stavanger. And it's actually where Espen's mum grew up and they know the pig farmers that mm. make this, well, that rear this particular pig. So yeah, like it's, it's been really nice exploring Norwegian cuisine with, or from a modern lens, I guess. And all these restaurants are really trying to support local, which mm. obviously is the way that you want to do it. And they've got so much incredible produce here that, you know, I think uh, the, there was another dish that I had that had apples from Garanga, Garanga, something like that, which is a fjord about four hours away from here. And it's known for its apples. It's, yeah, I think it's like apple central. <laughs> so, yeah, and... <laughs> I'm a lot more excited about the food this food this time around because I can I can see stories behind the producers and you know it's they can tell me where this particular meats come from and I can start to piece together a bit about yeah a bit more about Norway I guess and you know if I go out or if I go to the shops and I I see you know, this, I see that there's pork from Mostroy. I know that that's the pork that I want to get and I know where Mostroy is. And yeah, so it's all, it's all been a lot more exciting and a lot more mm. tasty. <laughs> oh, that's so good to hear. And what about the weather? I know it was winter last time you were there, but it was, you were only there for a, a short time, relatively speaking. What does it feel like now knowing you've got a long, dark winter ahead of you? Oh, now is actually the worst time of the year. So autumn is rainy and dark and cold and everyone is hanging out for snow. Because we're further south, we don't get snow as early yet or as early as northern Norway. So it's already snowing in northern Norway. And I keep seeing photos from northern Norway and just being incredibly jealous that that's not us yet. It's, to be honest, it is really, really hard and it has taken its toll the last month or so because it's pretty much been nonstop raining and I've got Islander blood in me. I've got Mediterranean blood in me and I'm also from Perth, Western Australia. So, you know, sunshine and warmth, that's that's my thing. And a lot of my mood is very much attached to the presence of sunlight or the absence of sunlight. And mm. so, yeah, the last month or so has been really hard and I've found it's taken its toll on my creativity, my drive, my anxiety and subsequent depression <laughs> kind of flaring up. But, you know, I, I think 
I also tell myself that I sound quite spoiled because I'm very lucky to be here. And I keep like, I do keep reminding myself that I'm extremely lucky to be here. I've got these amazing experiences. And best of all, I'm here with Espen. Like that's what I came here for. I think if I came here just because I wanted to live overseas and try somewhere new, Norway probably wouldn't have been my first choice purely based on weather so and we heard you we heard you speak a few words of Norwegian before how's your I know you're studying Norwegian language at the moment how's it coming along jeg snakker bitte litt norsk med jeg forstår litt norsk mm. so I can speak a, a little bit of Norwegian mm. a very little bit but I can understand a bit of Norwegian so I can speak very slowly mm. <laughs> and it's kind of like I can speak but I understand more and so my lessons have really kind of yeah I've I've learned a lot in those lessons and I think Espen can see the difference too and it helps having him here that I can speak to him in Norwegian mm. um so yeah, it's it's coming along really well. It's hard. Mm. <laughs> it's really hard to learn. And I do find that I get scared speaking it because if someone asks me a question in Norwegian, I can't answer it as quickly as I would in English. So the conversation is really stunted and I get awkward about it and I get nervous, but I can bumble my way through. But we do, we do. I think the hardest thing is, is that here in Stavanger, they have a particular dialect and my lessons in Oslo dialect. Mm. So then when I speak to, or when Espen's family speak to me or uh, some of his friends speak to me and ask me questions, I know what the question is, but I don't understand it because they've said it in, in Stavanger dialect. Okay. So I yeah just another level of difficulty for you another level of difficulty it's really yeah it's hard because then I'll practice my homework with Espen and he'll say oh in in Stavanger we say egg for I whereas in Oslo they say yay oh gosh so then I'll I'll start saying you know egg in class like egg snacker egg snacker engelsk you know and then I'll be like, no, it's yai. <laughs> and she'll correct me and say, oh, yai is Nakarangelsk. So. <laughs> you sound very impressive to me. What what are you missing most about Australia? At the moment, it's definitely the longer days, the sunshine, the warm breeze, the beach. I get I get the beach here. I definitely do. But it's not quite the same when I know that it's warm back home and I haven't had, I think I've had maybe three, four weeks of summer in the last year, mm. year and a half. Mm. So it's, that's, yeah, that's something that I'm really, really missing. And just little things as well. Like my dad got his first new car in like 15 years <laughs> and he's so excited about it and he's been trying to show me it on on FaceTime mm. and you know, because I was living with them you know I would have been there for that mm. moment I would have been there to see him get his new car and yeah. so I miss that you know just those little things but otherwise I feel like I'm I'm doing a lot better than I thought I would 
you know, come back to me in six months' time and I'll we, probably we will, have... We will do that. Just out of interest, <laughs> Monique, before you met Espen, how did you imagine your future? How did you imagine you... Where did you imagine you'd be right now? I'm sure that Norway didn't figure large in your plans. And what are your plans <laughs> for the future? You know, Norway would never, ever, ever have crossed my mind or, like, <laughs> I would honestly never have thought I would be living in Norway. If you had... a asked me or if you had have put me in a time machine and sped me five years in the future (laughs) I'm sure it wouldn't have been Norway but I I had been thinking about trying to live overseas at some point I think getting towards 30 I was getting quite restless and really wanting some sort of experience something something different so I remember when I went to New Caledonia, I had told myself that I wanted to go and live in New Caledonia for a year, which I would have been able to do because I have an Italian passport and it's a French French mm-hmm. island. So I think I probably would, I would like to say that I would have been living in Europe or on an island somewhere at least for a year. But to be honest, I think, you know, I probably would have still been settled in Perth. I I think ultimately that's always going to be my home. And I think I'm really lucky that Espen loves Perth as much as I do. And, you know, on the DL, even though it's not on the DL when it's um, on a podcast for everyone to hear. (laughs) On the the DL means on the quiet for anybody who doesn't know, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, on the down low. Um, <laughs> he his company actually has a lot of opportunities in Perth, or a lot of potential opportunities in Perth. So yeah, I can't tell you what the future is going to hold because we're both, you know, I'm from Perth, he's from Norway. I've got work in Perth and in Norway, and he's got work in Norway and potentially in Perth. He could potentially have work in Brazil. Who knows? And maybe in a year's time, I'll be in Brazil with him. So, yeah, I think it's a very there's there's no kind of concrete plan for the future. I'm just going to go with the flow. <laughs> well, you'll be an expert at moving countries by then. So, do you have any <laughs> words of advice for somebody who's planning to move to another country? Not necessarily Norway, but just any country. Yeah, I would say that a immigration agent or someone that knows what they're doing with immigration would be worth their weight in, you know, in gold because it's such a hard thing to navigate yourself. Even though, you know, you think you might have it under control, there's so many aspects that you have to think about and, you know, there, there are so many boxes that you've got to fit in for things to go smoothly so yeah I think that's that's a huge well it's something that'll save you a lot of time even if it won't save you a lot of money in the in the beginning it'll save a lot of money in, in the end and I think I think just to go in and embrace it and you know do as much as you possibly can and experience as much as you possibly can because ultimately, if you're going to move there, it's going to become your home and things are going to, you know, become routine and, you know, it might, it, it's it's going to be, you know, especially if you're working nine to five, I'm lucky that I can kind of <laughs> work my way around that. But if you're working nine to five, it's going to become routine and it's, 
the more that you can plan to do and experience, I think, yeah, you need to take that opportunity and you need to make it as fun as possible because it's, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to get hard because it's not, it's not home. It's, you know, there are going to be things that you notice are really, really different. So I know for me, work-wise, I think I anticipated, I knew that I was going to have to know Norwegian to get a job, but I didn't anticipate how hard it was going to be to find, you know, any kind of job, especially being freelance, you know, people aren't as open to (laughs) remote work as they say. I think you've definitely got to go into it with an open mind and not get let down at how long everything takes and at how, how difficult the process is. You've just got to kind of go with the flow and that's the process. Let it be. (laughs) Yeah. So patience and persistence. Yeah. A lot of patience and persistence. And especially if you're moving somewhere without the, uh, without the support of, you know, a partner who is from that country, it's definitely going to be a lot harder. And I think you've just got to, yeah, be patient, be persistent, keep, keep an open mind, continue pushing to have new experiences and meeting new people. And yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, Monique. I I really hope that you can find a way to get through the, the darkest days of the Norwegian winter with your mental faculties intact and to not miss that sun too much but it's been great having you on and catching up with what you're doing so thank you so much thank you so much for having me it's been a wonderful morning chat (laughs) (laughs) we'll be following keenly and actually listeners if you want to keep up with Monique's life in Norway you can follow her at at Monique Chicato on Instagram I'll put that handle in the show notes as well so you can follow her Thank you, as always, for listening wherever you are in the world. And until next time, bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe, rate and leave a review. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe, rate and leave a review.